Scofflaws is a show about the history of crime, criminals, and the investigation thereof. There may be discussion of adult themes and generally icky stuff. Also, neither host is a legal professional, and this show does not contain any legal advice. Remember, crime doesn't pay. Unless you're really good at it. Welcome to Scoff Laws, a history of law and disorder. My name is Sean, and joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Kate. Say hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. All right, well, Kate, uh, what, are we, uh, what are we discussing today? Well, Sean, as you know, the day that this episode comes out is a really special and incredible day. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, so, sounds like you have an idea of what we're talking about for once, so... What is what is the special day? Today, uh, being the 20th of June, is my 10-year wedding anniversary. I mean, yay, awesome for you and Trey, but that wasn't what I was talking about. Oh no? What, uh, what's, uh, what's other, what otherwise is special about today? Uh, it is the 125th anniversary of Lizzie Borden's acquittal, or declaration of being not guilty. For what she did. Oh wait, hold on. So, I thought we pretty much accepted. I thought it was pretty much known that Lizzie Borden did murder her parents with an axe. Is that not right? According to the legal system, it is not correct. Although history or people throughout history have different opinions. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Um. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about Lizzie Borden then. Well, Lizzie Borden um, was the main suspect of the murder of her mother, or her stepmother, excuse me, Abby Borden, and her father, um, finding his name, sorry, edit that bit out, um, she was the main suspect in the murder of her father, Andrew Borden, and her stepmother, Abby Borden, and before we get into this, Scofflaws. Needless to say, this episode's going to be very gruesome with details of extreme blood and guts and murder, which is my favorite thing, but not everybody's favorite thing. Yeah, no, it's it goes without saying that we're talking about axe murder here, so if you have a bit of a squeamish stomach, uh, keep in mind, axe murder. Axe murder. Um, but there was a little little poem that was written about this. I'm not quite sure when. Um, but a lot of people know it, and it's really cute. Um, but Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. And when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. <laughs> yeah, cute. Cute axe murder poem. It's not like we can talk that much about cute poems, considering one of the things that I'm sure we both sang on the childhood playground was a song about, uh, what was Ring Around the Rosie about? The bubonic plague. Bubonic plague, that's right. Yeah, it was. That's... Oh. I love the story behind that. <laughs> Yay for children being unintentionally gross and disturbing. Yay, be morbid! 
so uh the poem's not actually correct it was a collective 29 blows um between abby and andrew borden but well you know hollywood always has to escalate it up of course that's that's just their job uh, but the actual act took place on August 4th, 1892. Um, the, the full, like, background of it was that Abby, or Andrew Borden, was, uh, brutally mor- murdered in his home with an axe. He was found dead by his daughter, Lizzie Borden, a 33-year-old quote-unquote spinster, even though I don't agree with that. Wow, um, 30, I always imagined that when this happened, she was younger than that Mm-mm. like i imagine at the at the latest like early 20s so it was it was past that point yeah she was like 31 or 33 um huh. it, yeah that's really interesting she never married um that i could find but uh the police were summoned and they uh as a neighbor was a neighbor was there comforting lizzie and went to go upstairs to check on some stuff, uh, she found the body of Abby Borden, which was actually cold, whereas Andrew Borden's body was warm. So, hold on. So, I imagine that the only way they found out that there were... There was one dead body to begin with is because she reported it? Uh, yeah. So, she... What happened was, she screamed. Around 10.30 in the morning, um, and told a maid that her father had been murdered in the house. Her alibi was that she was out looking for fishing fishing lures, because her and her father were supposed to go fishing the next day. Nothing terrible's gonna happen today, Pa! (laughs) Um, the, the police were summoned by a neighbor. Okay, so neighbor called. Yeah, well, ran out to get police because this is 1892 in rural um, Massachusetts. Okay, so so they called the police on the fact that they heard a scream, and Lizzie said, "My father's dead," and then they found the mother-in-law or stepmother. Not really. So Lizzie screamed. Her uh, servant came downstairs. Um, and the neighbors also came over. The neighbor wife okay. stayed with Lizzie and comforted Lizzie while the husband went out to go find a police officer. Okay, and then it's while he was out finding the police officer that the woman staying with Lizzie Borden went upstairs and found the cold uh, stepmother. I'm not sure of that timeline, but it happened in there somewhere. Okay. Um, but it was thought that Abby Borden was killed an hour, a full hour and a half before Andrew Borden. All right. So they found the two bodies. They found a distraught Lizzie. Where to go from there? So the reporters had no concept of gruesome. And next are the detailed descriptions of what the victims looked like. So if you're, like, kind of squeamish but not that squeamish, you might want to, like, just fast forward through this part. Uh, but the facts... Yeah, this, this is the general icky stuff we warn you about at the beginning. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so the Fall River, Fall River Herald says, Over the left temple, a wound six 
by four inches wide had been made as if it had been pounded with the dull edge of an axe. The left eye had been dug out and cut extended the length of the nose. The face was hacked to pieces and the blood had covered the man's shirt. Wow, that's... That sounds more like entertainment television than anything that we'd hear on the news now uh, nowadays. It really does, and honestly, um, I'm not going to post any of our any of the pictures of these on our social media because I don't know what kind of people will be following us. But if you just Google Lizzie Mor- Lizzie Borden axe murder, you'll see the pictures of the two victims. Preferably not on your lunch break or after you've eaten. Pool rules, people. Pool rules. Unless. Unless you're someone like me. Uh, <laughs> um, so it was suggested that Abby was killed by a tall man um, from behind because she her gash was in the back of her head. It's like upper back of her head. And that's... Okay, so we're looking for a general tall man. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injuries, four miles an hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. General tall man who could have run away. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. And that is actually one of the ways that Lizzie was not considered a probable um, suspect at first because the the force that would be used to hack through her stepmother's head is actually, like, far beyond what many women can handle. She may have been a strong woman. We don't know. But she was shorter than her stepmother. And she would have had to get a really good angle and be really strong to crack through the back of the skull. Or take a running leap, you know, because physics works that way. Physics is totally like anime, right, Sean? Totally, absolutely. Everything works like action movies. <laughs> um, so Lizzie and her sister Emma went to stay with um, some neighbors, and um, rumors began to spread that Lizzie was involved with the murders because... She had tried buying a deadly poison from the drugstore two days before the murders, and it was claimed that she had a less-than-ideal relationship with her stepmother, Abby, but every family member who had ever encountered them said that they were fine, but all the neighbors were convinced that they didn't speak to each other and that they hated each other. Um, But everyone who lived in the house was like... Walk up to CVS and ask for your strongest poison, please. um, I forgot what the poison's called because I couldn't pronounce it, so I didn't want to put it in the show. But it was a lethal dose. It was like the most lethal dose you can buy at a drugstore in 1892. Oh, man. Um, no idea, of course. No, they didn't need one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the police concluded that this act had to have been someone in the house. The person who committed the crime had to have been someone in the house. Um, That left only two suspects, Lizzie and the maid, because Emma was not home. She was like, 
her alibi was confirmed. She was across the town at the time. But Lizzie, her alibi was really confusing. Like, no one really, she never gave the same answer. And the physician that um, examined her after, the family physician who examined her after to just make sure she was okay, um, said that, um, quote, hacking is almost a positive sign of a deed by a woman who is unconscious, unconscious of what she's doing. Ah, so setting her up to be able to plead womanly insanity? Yeah, plead hysteria. That's a thing, right? Yeah, no, that that's actually, I mean, at this point in time, that would have been a thing. Oh. And I only know that because I listened to Sawbones almost religiously. It was a real thing and also cures for uh, female hysteria included a going to a doctor and the doctor using an early vibrator on you. Yep, I remember hearing that part too. You know where the term actually comes from? Hmm. The idea that... Um, how do I put this delicately? The whole rigging down there would ro- wander around the body, and where it like settled would cause different maladies. Yes, the wandering, uh, wandering uterus is what it was called, or a walking uterus. Um, and that idea stems like that's a middle age concept that kind of was almost not at this time. That idea was pretty solidly, pretty solidly disproven. But before that, people didn't really didn't didn't think that your organs stayed in one spot. They thought they moved, and to realign them, you had to take herbs and get a, vi- a vibrator. Which most women I know would not object to going to the doctor to get a little bit of a relief in that way. Some men also did too. It was considered a cure for femininity. Oh no. Not not with the vibrator. Uh-huh. Oh. With the vibrator. Hey, I'm, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge. This is why we're an adult show, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to Lizzie Borden, who definitely did not receive that treatment in the historical record. Um, during her examination for the pretrial, uh, Lizzie's answers to all the questions were really contradictory. Um she was arrested two days later after, like, her examination, and she submitted a guilty of not, or a plead of not guilty. Gotta keep the story straight. Well, the doctor that was involved actually gave her morphine, which would explain why her story was not straight. He gave her morphine to calm her nerves and calm her down because she found her father brutally murdered. Uh, I guess that's one way to abuse morphine. I don't think she was... It may have been doctor abuse, but I think she was following directions. Oh, no, I I don't doubt it. I mean, that's... Doctors aren't therapists, but they at that point in time, they're like, uh, find one thing that works for one thing, and we'll give it to everyone. Yep. It's actually... Um, she got morphine because laudanum actually was starting to be proven to be not a good... Drug of choice. Laudanum, I believe, is just basically opium, yes, isn't it? Correct. But this was during an opium war-ish, or is kind of during an opium war. Um, 
The so uh, her testimony that she gave at that point was actually scrapped later during the trial um, because she was technically a prisoner, according to the two two or three judges that um, were examining the case with the jury. And um, as a prisoner, she never was read her Fifth Amendment rights, so she didn't know what her rights were. Therefore, she uh, she did not give the testimony voluntarily, and it was declared null and void. And I lied, the Opium Wars were 1839 to 1860. Okay, so right in this time frame. No, it was about... 30 or 40 years before is when they uh, ended. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Um, so during the preliminary hearing, um, which is well, like, hold on. Uh, before we get into that, wasn't, uh, were they called Miranda rights at that point? Was the fifth amendment right roll call called the Miranda rights yet? No, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Um, but the um, the Miranda rights came from Miranda versus Arizona, uh, which is where they decided that you have to be read your Fifth Amendment rights um, upon arrest. So you still had to be read your Fifth Amendment rights, but it was a little bit more flexible in court. Um, this is Miranda versus the state of Arizona, which went to the Supreme Court. Um, fun fact. This is all because of a Mexican man that was um, arrested. Um, and yeah. The more you know. The more you know. Um, but back to Lizzie Borden. The So you've got, they had the pretrial thing, which is where they're just trying to collect statements and evidence to figure out who they should arrest and try, which is how Lizzie Borden got arrested. And then during the um, preliminary hearing, this is when the judge decides if your case needs to go to court. Um, Okay. So, like, say you stole a yacht, like they do in Gilmore Girls. Um, I have never watched an episode of Gilmore Girls, but my sister has every single season on DVD. Not surprised. But in an episode of Gilmore Girls, Rory steals a yacht and has to go to court. The trial that she goes to is civil court, but also could be a preliminary hearing for when they, if, if she actually had to go before a jury. So basically, preliminary hearing is where you're judge decides um it whether or not they want to send you before a jury that's very simply it's a lot more complicated than that um but the judge declared that lizzie this is just a single judge not the two judges at her actual trial um but the judge declared that lizzie was most likely guilty and wanted to put her in front of her jury all right so that makes sense and then we go to the multi-judge bonus multi-judge bonus Um, (laughs) so during the trial, Lizzie had some of the best defense team. One of them was a former governor of Massachusetts. She had a really good defense team. Yeah. How did she bankroll that? I have no idea. Her father was like a prominent member of society in uh, Fall River. Gotcha. So maybe that had something to do with it. Um, paid with clout, I guess. I mean, that's still like we're still in that time frame where if you're important enough to 
the part of society that you're in, you can trade that for goods and services. Sort of. Um, This was far enough into capitalism in the United States where money was an actual thing and this wasn't super rural. So money did change hands. I just don't know how or how much. But there was also really good prosecution. It was some of the best prosecution in the state of Massachusetts at the time. So this was like the the OJ trial of its century. Exactly. It was actually declared the trial of the century uh, by several newspapers. Oh, all right, so so she's got her legal team. She's got the the prosecution. She's got two judges. Mm-hmm. So the trial opens in on June fifth, eighteen ninety three. Several people testified against her, and actually, the defense used most of the state's witnesses against themselves. They didn't call very many witnesses for the defense. It was all state prosecutions witnesses that were then cross-examined to prove the defense's point. So so real, like, Phoenix Wright-style stuff where defense doesn't call anyone, it just pokes holes in the story. Objection! Exactly, and you don't need to prove someone is not guilty, per se. You just need to plant enough reasonable doubt in the jury that they cannot declare them guilty. Because the only way to declare someone guilty in a jury is if they are guilty beyond reasonable doubt. All right, so I'm guessing they poked enough holes in that? They did. So, um, one of the the main pieces of circumstantial evidence that the prosecution brought forward was that um, a family friend that the Borden sisters were staying with um, said that Lizzie, in broad daylight, started burning a dress. And Lizzie claimed that it was a dress that was covered in old paint, well, it was a light blue dress, and Lizzie was said to have been wearing a, bl- a light blue dress um, on the day her parents died. So that was enough evidence for the jury to like start being like, "Oh, we don't think she's, we don't think she is not the one who did it. We think she did it." Just walk out to the front yard and start burning a pile of clothing. Yeah, that's that's not suspicious. It's actually in the kitchen, but same idea. Oh, so um, someone had to peep into the kitchen to see it. That makes it better. Well, it was actually like people were preparing for dinner or whatever. And she just tossed it in the fireplace. Um, so the defense poked a hole through that saying, well, if you're burning a dress because you murdered somebody in it, why would you do that in front of the entire family? <laughs> why wouldn't you do it in front of the entire family? Well, in case the family would see blood stains, no one saw any blood stains. Oh, it's red paint. It's red paint. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I mean, that's that's the defense she used. That it was old paint. She didn't say what color it was. So brown no, paint, then I guess. <laughs> the prosecution prosecution also presented this her parents' actual skulls. So, not the prosecution, excuse me, the defense. So when the prosecution rested their case on on uh, June 14th, the day that we're recording this episode, by the way, the defense then comes up and starts examining and everything like that. And her parents' skulls were presented by the defense's evidence, which made Lizzie faint for a total of seven minutes. Oh, yes, the, the, the famous fainting defense. 
Yeah, so they wanted to show that she was a woman, but also you see this bashed in skull of your father. <laughs> and you get the vapors. <laughs> wow, I can't do a southern accent. Wow. And my dear, you get the vapors. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> also, along with the skulls being produced by the defense, the axe was actually produced by the prosecution, but it was only the axe head. The handle was nowhere to be found. The thing that, you know, would have fingerprints on it. Mm-hmm. So the closing, the my favorite quote from the trial uh, was part of the closing statement of the defense, and it said, There is not one particle of direct evidence in this case from beginning to end against Lizzie A. Borden. There is no, not a spot of blood. There is not a weapon that they have connected with her in any way, shape, or fashion. Because she burned it. Likely. See, you're convinced that she's guilty, and I'm not. Um, okay, so, I mean, taking the nursery rhyme aside, what makes you think that she wasn't guilty of it? I think that, I don't know. I don't know who could have done it, but the defense was really good. If you read the trials, like, the defense was all the evidence that was brought forward against her was really flimsy. It was the testimony of a dress and of a doctor who just said, eh, maybe. <laughs> all, all the character witnesses were like, Lizzie's like the most upstanding person we know. She could never have done this. The people who were like, well, yeah, well, she's rumored to have hated her stepmother all those people were proven false because her sister and her maid and other close friends of the family said actually she had a really good relationship with her not enough to call her mother but like but close enough like they, not they they talk not antagonistic exactly like sometimes they would fight because women do that especially when you're 33 and not married in 1892 that might cause some fights in the family. Uh, imaginable. Uh, so, do we have an idea, if it wasn't uh, Lizzie Borden, do we have an idea who might have done it? Or is that just lost the annals of time? Well, that's kind of lost through the annals of time because we don't know who else could have done it. It was The idea was brought, there was a stranger who stayed in the house, in the Borden house. Um... He may have done it, but he was gone at the time of the murder. Um, it was the mysterious drifter. Yeah, he actually was like a mysterious drifter. <laughs> oh, God. And then they blamed a foreigner for a while. Like, if they saw a foreigner in town, and then they didn't see him after the murders. And... Nope, nope, not touching that one with a joke. Not right now. I wouldn't touch it either, because I think that it was... That there's a whole nother axe murderer story in the Southwest that touches on that, and we'll get there. It's such low hanging fruit that it's on the ground rotting right now. <laughs> um, so the verdict, as we know, is not guilty. The reason that the verdict is not guilty is because there was a, a substantial amount of reasonable doubt, and also. Lizzie Borden was claimed to have good Christian character. Oh, well, sign of the times, I guess. Yep. 
So her and her sister got the hell out of the house that her parents were murdered in, and they moved into a house across the town. That's where Lizzie lived for the rest of her life. Um, she and her sister lived together, never marrying. And um, her sister traveled a lot, and Lizzie Borden died on June 1st, 1927. She was... 67 years old, 66 years old, almost 67. And her sister died a few days later, um, somewhere else in Massachusetts. And she died of pneumonia. Actually, I lied. Emma Borden died in New Hampshire. Oh, so still, still New England. Um, yeah, still very close. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that they didn't stay in the murder house. Well, people do stay in the murder house. It is now a bed and breakfast. I, I knew that. I... I've seen plenty of uh, ghost hunter shows. We call them ghost puncher, especially the ones where they're like shouting at ghosts. So, Sean, I gotta know, do you believe in ghosts? Eh, jury's still out. See, I hardcore believe in ghosts. I've seen so many of them. Um, And I hate the ghost hunter shows, for one, because they just make ghosts upset and make them angry. But... The old murder house, the bed and breakfast, if you are brave enough, you can sleep in the room where Abby Borden was murdered. And it is said that every night... Oh, also, fun fact, two of... The Bordens bought this house once upon a time from two distant relatives whose children were... Set, like, the two children were murdered by being thrown down a well. And then their mother committed suicide. Oh no! It's it's not a lucky family. It's not a it's not a lucky family. So the ghosts that are most often seen are the two little girls running around, and they're um they're playing in this this is at night, and then um the ghost of Abby Borden is often seen in that room, standing over the bed. And I've seen a couple pictures of some evidence that I think is legit. Um, also, there, a fire alarm goes off at 316 once every three or four months. Um, which I found out because I was just, like, looking at people who had stayed at this place and wanted to, like, disprove the ghost theory. And they're like, yeah, I didn't even make it through the night. I got the hell out of there. <laughs> Zoic Scoob, we got better get out of here. Yeah, I'm spooked. Let's go. See, and that's the funny thing is, like, even if you don't believe in ghosts, I think it's a good psychological thrill to do to yourself, but also will drive you crazy if you go and are like, I'm not going to sleep because I'm too scared. <laughs> well, I mean, it might be worth, uh, I mean, I would try it. Um, like I said, I'm I'm still sort of jury still out on ghosts. I just haven't seen anything that's really, like, convinced me. I haven't seen anything that I would feel is, like, concrete, but I'm open to it. Well, for me, my, um, so growing up, my stepsister and I had to share a bed because we were poor and couldn't afford to, like, get bunk beds or whatever, so we just shared a bed. It was fine. We were watching TV one night, and, um, we, the, the remote was very clearly in between the two of us, and both of our hands were not by it. I know, because she was texting. This is like right when she had just gotten a cell phone. She was like 14. I was 15. Um, all of a sudden, we both look down and the remote shoots back and slams into the wall. Her hands are on her phone. 
my hands. I don't know what I was doing with them, but they clearly were not touching this remote control. Yeah, that, that, that sounds pretty solid. It's the second time that's happened. Yeah, and um, doors closed themselves. This house was like a brand new house. And um, doors would open and close themselves. There was no rhyme or reason. It wasn't slow. It was a slam, and there was no draft. It was in the middle of winter when the door, when the when the windows were closed. Little did you know, it was built on a Native American burial ground. Ooh. It was built on old farmland, so it was probably somebody's dead farm ancestor or something. Um, Have you ever seen Poltergeist? No, I actually. So I love the macabre and I love the scary. Another one for the list. But you left the bodies and you only moved the headstones. I cannot watch scary movies. That is, I love the macabre. If you know me, uh, podcast listeners, you know that I love blood and guts and gore as much as the next person, but I cannot watch scary movies or horror movies. It's something about the movie. I can watch horror theaters. The day is long, but I cannot watch scary movies. It's got a, it's got an interesting history to it that that movie series um that's not our podcast though we're not like the creepy movie podcast but no wiki it it's it's interesting like how unfortunate that whole cast is oh no also i had bunk beds um they're not all they're cracked up to be i did with my older brother when i was i don't know like before i was five and I think I jumped off the top of one and cracked open my tooth or I did something. I cracked my tooth out of my head from a bunk bed. Yeah, no, I I had them. Let's see. I would probably, it probably would have been like junior high. So I probably would have been like 13 and my brother would have been like nine. Mm -hmm. Um, It, uh, it wasn't the the best time uh, mainly because I hated going up the ladder because the, because it hurt my feet. (laughs) Yep. My best friend had a bunk bed, and she would make me sleep on the top a lot. And she had a metal bunk bed, so climbing up metal rungs? Oof. That was not fun. I've seen bunk beds. I've slept in them. My friend had a full-size bunk bed Um, when I moved to Wisconsin. She had a full-size bunk bed on the top bunk. So the three of us, um, we were like the three amigos, Uh, the three of us slept in the same like bunk on the top. That was fun. We made a nest, and it was great. (laughs) <laughs> that was junior high for me. If you ever wonder what junior high girls do, they prank call boys and then they nestle together in a nest of blankets, pillows, and gossip. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> All right, Sean. That was that was a gory, a gory fun episode. Yep, that that was. Um so I think you convinced me. I think she didn't do it. And I'm just kind of neutral, <laughs> so it didn't take much convincing. Eh, not not really. I mean, it was at this point over a hundred years ago. There's not much we can do, in so far as like going back to reanalyze it. For real, and honestly, people do go back and reanalyze it and try to figure out if it happened. And um, no one really knows because a lot of the evidence wasn't actual evidence. So there was. There's no way for us to know. It's one of those history mysteries. Um, people are convinced that she did it, though. Like, I was reading her biography.com, like, biography, and people were like, she killed her parents. And I'm like, but the law says she didn't. So Just real th- quick, is it too late to change the name of the show to History Mysteries? 
There's, I think there's already a podcast called History of Mysteries. Dang. Oh, well. Thank you, ladies at Stuff You Missed in History Class for putting that term into my brain, and I use it constantly. If they could sponsor us, that'd be fun. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. Uh, speaking of sponsorships, if you want to sponsor with us here at uh, Scott Plus Podcast, if you want to sponsor us and be featured on the show in your own little 30-second ad, you can email us at scofflusspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to talk with you and figure that out. And if you don't want to, uh, if you don't have anything to sell, but you still want to support the show, um, you can donate to us through our Patreon at patreon.com slash scofflusspodcast. Yeah, that. And also... If you don't have any money to give, but you want to love us and give us attention, ah, follow us on um, all social medias. We're on every platform, although we really only post to Facebook right now because I'm still trying to figure everything else out. But follow us on social media and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We love to connect with people. Right now, we've got listeners all over the world. Someone listens to us in England on their way to work. Yeah, no, we we sat down and sort of tried to figure that out. And <laughs> if you're that if you're that person that we're guessing just listens to us on the train to work each morning, uh, you you or anyone else can email us at scofflusspodcast at gmail dot com. Podcast is also what you'll find us on most social media, except I think Twitter, but we haven't done much with Twitter anyway. So, oh well. <laughs> All right, Sean, are right. you gonna send us out with a? Uh... Goofy Law, the one thing you research? Yes, I am. This one comes from Rhode Island. Oh. No one no one may bite off another's leg. I mean, I hope you wouldn't bite off another person's leg. This one is one of the ones that has the full text of the law here. I'm just uh-huh. going to read it off because it's not that terribly long. Title 11, Criminal Offenses, Chapter 11-29, Mayhem. Section 11-29-1, penalty for mutilation or disabling, every person who shall voluntarily, maliciously, or of purpose put out an eye, slip the nose, ear, or lip, or cut off, bite off, or disable any limb or member of another, shall be imprisoned not exceeding 20 years or less than one year. What? It's a misdemeanor? It must have happened enough times for them to write such a stringent law that they would clearly get a misdemeanor if they, what was it, flick somebody's ear was in there? Put on an eye, slit the nose, slit. ear, or lip. Ooh. Slit, yeah. I'm just thinking now of slitting your septum. That sounds painful. Anyway. I mean, you can do it with a punch. <laughs> you punch someone right, it'll, it'll bust that lip open. <laughs> Icky, gross, cool. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. Thank you all for joining us here at the Scofflaws. And uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of your week. And I don't know what we're doing next time, um, but we'll probably discuss that uh, off mic. Um, so, yeah. Thank you again for joining us. And say bye, Kate. Bye, Kate. Your 
fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Hold it! 